Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode on Rising Above Shadows of Abuse, Raza. I'm your host, Grace Hopper. An independent review into the standards of behavior and internal culture of the Metropolitan Police Service by Baroness Casey of Blackstock, DBECB, March 2023. This is an edited forward and summary of the Baroness Casey review of March 2023 into the standards of behaviour and internal culture of the Metropolitan Police Service. This edited version produced by Rising Above Shadows of Abuse, Raza, refers specifically to the points in the review that have a particular impact on and resonance for those vulnerable to abuse in society. These are women, children, ethnic minorities and LGBTQ people and in some instances perpetrated by the police themselves. Only two years ago, in March 2021, Sarah Everard was abducted, raped and murdered by a seven Metropolitan Police officer. Sarah's mother, Susan Everard, told the court in her victim impact statement that I am outraged that he masqueraded as a policeman in order to get what he wanted. Another seven Met officer who also exploited his position was only convicted as one of the country's most prolific sexual offenders because a woman called 101 to report that this other officer had tortured and raped her and left her for dead. It was only as a result of her call that all other women came forward and that same officer was eventually prosecuted. Neither of these crimes should have happened. Enough was known about both men to have stopped them so much earlier. Of course, I accept that so many police officers go to work for the right reasons. They are committed to public service and I thank them for that. But policing needs to accept that the job can also attract predators and bullies. Those who want power over their fellow citizens and to use those powers to cause them harm and discriminate. All of British policing needs to be alive to this very serious risk. It needs to keep them out when they try to get in, to root them out when they exist, and to guard against the corrosive effects that their actions have on trust, confidence, and the fundamental pillion principles of policing by consent. I'm unconvinced the police forces are fully alive to that risk, nor that the Met fully understands the gravity of its situation as a whole. Instead, the Met preferred to pretend that their own perpetrators of unconscionable crimes were just bad apples or not police officers at all. So throughout this review, I've asked myself time and time again, if these crimes cannot prompt the self-reflection and reform, then what will it take? Many of the issues raised by the review are far from new. I make a finding of institutional racism, sexism, and homophobia in the Met. Sir William McPherson made the first of those findings in his inquiry into the racist murder of Stephen Lawrence as long ago as 1999. Many people have been raising grave concerns about the Met for much longer than that. This report is rigorous, stark and unsparing. 
Its findings are tough and for many will be difficult to take, but it should leave no one in any doubt about the scale of the challenge. As the Reverend Mina Smallman, the mother of two murdered daughters and another victim of Met's officer's crimes, told me, what we can't have is that the only reason that people who corrupt the police are taken in hand is by the tenacity of the women and the families they abused. The strides and the windows that we've been able to open into this institution have not come about because of the police's desire to change. It's come about on the backs and the tenacity of people of colour and women. And that's not the only way we're going to effect real change. If you're constantly trying to cover up the cracks, then you're never going to address anything. Ultimately, it is the Met that has to change itself. It is not our job as the public to keep ourselves safe from the police. It is the police's job to keep us safe as the public. Far too many Londoners have now lost faith in policing to do that. Many Londoners, particularly black Londoners, never had it to begin with. I completely understand why they feel that way. However, we have to be able to have faith in the police. They stand in the way of danger for us. We need to be able to tell our children to go to them when they are in danger. We give the police exceptional powers and we trust them to use them responsibly. That is how policing by consent works. It's a deal, a deal that we now need to restore in London. The police want to earn our trust and we want to trust the police. It is what great police officers deserve. It is what the great city of London deserves. Words alone cannot do that. It is only through actions that the Met can now begin to re-earn that trust. This is the moment for it to do so. Summary and Conclusions The Met has faced significant challenges over the last 10 years. Many of these have been beyond their control. These include austerity, changes in crime patterns, greater non-crime demand and a regulatory system that makes it difficult to get rid of people who corrupt the Met's integrity. The Crime Prosecution Service and the courts are also under acute pressure. This impacts the effectiveness of the Met and makes the criminal justice system overall much less effective. Significant societal shifts are rightly making us less tolerant of crimes such as domestic abuse, rape and child abuse as well as discrimination. Public expectations on policing are therefore greater. London too is always changing. Its population is expanding and is swirled by thousands of commuters daily and millions of visitors each year. It is more diverse in terms of nationalities, ethnic and faith groups and sexuality than other UK cities. The majority of the population are not from white British ethnic backgrounds. One in five do not have English as a main language and London has greater extremes of wealth and poverty than other parts of the UK. In contrast, Met officers are 82% white and 71% male, and the majority do not live in the city they police. As such, the Met does not look like the majority of Londoners. Traditional volume crime, such as burglary and theft, has declined, while low-volume but more serious offences, such as violence against the person and sexual offences, have significantly increased from 17% of all crimes in 2012 to 2013 
to 31% in 2022 to 2023. Such cases take longer to investigate and resolve. Domestic abuse-related crimes have doubled over 10 years to nearly 100,000 a year, and the number of reported rape cases have increased fourfold. But the number of officers investigating them has not increased at the same rate. This places more demand on police detective services in particular, while there is a national shortage of detectives. Like other public services, Austerity has profoundly affected the Met. In real terms, the review has calculated that the Met now has 0.7 billion less than at the start of the previous decade, meaning its budget is 18% smaller. This is enough to employ more than 9,600 extra police constables at full cost. It has lost 21% of its civilian staff and two-thirds of its special constables, while the number of police community support officers have halved. Between 2010 and 2022, it closed 126 police stations. Specialist units and functions have been prioritised, including through ring-fenced government funding. Together, this has eroded frontline policing, weakening the strongest day-to-day point of connection with Londoners, as well as impacting the Met's reactive capabilities, its response level and its response to male violence perpetrated against women and children. The model of policing by consent, pioneered in London and admired and copied around the world, requires the Met to both aim and maintain public trust in everything it does. However, there is declining public confidence and trust in the institution. Public trust has fallen from a high point of 89% in 2016 to a low of 66% in March 2022. Public confidence in the Met to do a good job locally has fallen from high points of 70% in 2016 and 2017 to a low of 45% in March 2022. People from black and mixed ethnic groups have lower trust and confidence in the Met, scoring 10 to 20% lower than average on trust and 5 to 10% lower on confidence. Altogether, declining scores among white Londoners mean that gap is closing. Among those who responded to survey undertaking for the review, three quarters of Met employees and two in five Londoners think the Met's external reputation is poor. Black Londoners are even more likely to say its reputation is poor. A series of scandals involving the Met and the Met's response, playing them down, denial, obfuscation, and digging in to defend officers without seeming to understand their wider significance, combined with this loss of trust as strong indicators of fundamental problems. Our conclusions are set out below. There are systemic and fundamental problems in how the Met is run. The size of the Met makes it challenging to operate and also to change. The problem, however, is not its size, but its inadequate management. The Met is run as a set of disconnected and competing moving parts, lacking clear systems, goals or strategies. It runs on a series of uncoordinated and short-lived initiatives, long on activity, but short on action. There is no workforce plan, 
no strategic assessment of the needs and the skills of the organization, and demand modeling is outdated. Recruitment and vetting systems are poor and fail to guard against those who seek power in order to abuse it. There has been no central record of training, so officers may well be in roles which they are not trained for. The management of people is poor. The METS processes do not effectively root out bad officers, help to tackle mediocre officers, or truly support and develop good officers. Some of this is down to national systems, including misconduct processes, underperformance regulations, and the national promotion framework. But the MET doesn't actively intervene to make this work better for its people and its own policies, practices and culture serve to exacerbate the problem. We witness clear signs of high stress and pressure among officers due to the nature of the work, dealing with very stressful and upsetting situations, working with traumatized, vulnerable and dangerous people and facing daily abuse from the public. Frontline officers working on response and public protection teams were not being properly assisted with psychological support to protect their mental health or prevent desensitization towards victims and the public. Sergeants and inspectors are expected to manage very large numbers of constables and union you know, staff as a core feature of their work without the time and the tools to do so. On the current MET systems, it is easier for them to ignore poor performing officers or let those with conduct issues get away with bad behavior. In an organization where people are its principal asset, the vital role of human resources has been outsourced and is too distant from local policing needs. Since publication of the McPherson Report in 1999, the Met has remained largely white and largely male. If recruitment continues on its current trajectory, it will take at least another 30 years until 2053 to reach gender balance. It will take even longer until 2061 to reach 46% black, Asian and ethnic minority representation. What is needed to be representative of London today, let alone the even more diverse city it will be in nearly 40 years time. The Police Uplift Programme has been a missed opportunity to improve the diversity and skills space of its workforce. There is no plan B. This isn't about being woke or having politically correct quotas. It means the Met is missing out on the talent it desperately needs to improve its effectiveness. It is also damaging community confidence by failing to create a force that looks like the city it polices. This is creating a negative spiral in which some communities continue to have negative experiences at the hands of the police, trust them less, and are less likely to join. The Met has not managed the integrity of its own police service, which is tasked with upholding law and order and keeping citizens safe. But it had failed over time to ensure the integrity of its officers and therefore of the organization. Despite the obvious signals of major failure, with heinous crimes perpetrated by serving Met officers, it did not stop to question its processes. Policing will attract those who wish to abuse the powers conferred by a warrant card.
The Met has not taken this fact seriously. Its vetting processes are not vigilant in identifying clear warning signs, such as previous indecent exposure or domestic abuse from applicant officers. Transferees from other forces are trusted to be good enough. Periodic revetting has been confrontatory and self-declaration are relied upon. The Met does not take ethical standards as it could and it has no systems in place to ensure staff and officers adhere to them, nor clear consequences if they do not. Concerns raised through the misconduct or complaints process are not well recorded and are more likely to be dismissed than acted upon. Patterns of behaviour and escalating incidents, such as the hallmark of predatory behaviour, are not identified. Instead, time and time again, those complaining are not believed or supported. They are treated badly or face counterclaims from those they have accused. Behaviour which in most other organisations could lead to instant dismissal or serious disciplinary action, particularly among those who work routinely with vulnerable people, is too often addressed through management action or reflective practice. In the absence of vigilance towards those who intend to abuse the office of constable, predatory and unacceptable behaviour has been allowed to flourish. There are too many places for people to hide. The integrity of the organisation remains vulnerable to threat. The Met's new leadership represent a welcome change of tone and approach. However, deep-seated cultures need to be tackled in order for change to be sustained. When he became commissioner in 1972, over 50 years ago, Sir Robert Mark said he had never experienced blindness, arrogance and prejudice on anything like the scale accepted as routine in the Met. The Met is a very different organization today, but we have found those cultures alive and well. We want to be crystal clear. We are not saying everyone within the organization behaves in these ways, but these are the prevailing and default cultures, the way we do things wrongly. Some of the worst cultures, behaviours and practices have been found in specialist firearms units where standards and accountability should be at their absolute highest. In the Met, there's too much hubris and too little humility. The organisation has a we-know-best attitude. It dismisses external views and criticism and adopts the attitude that no one outside the Met can understand the special nature and unique demands of their work. This hubris has become a serious weakness. It stops them hearing and understanding other views, including those of Londoners, and prevents them bringing in external help, co-opting experts and stakeholders to provide support and challenge. The Met does not easily accept criticism, not own its own failures. It does not embrace or learn from its mistakes. Instead, it starts from a position that nothing wrong has occurred. It looks for and lashes onto small flaws in any criticism, only accepting reluctantly that any wrongdoing has occurred after incontrovertible evidence has been produced. One of the saddest aspects of this culture of denial is that many of the issues highlighted in this report, systemic racial bias in the misconduct system, poor child protection services, not recognizing predatory behavior, the dire state of property storage, have been known about, reported on and investigated before, 
But the Mets culture combined with its poor management has meant that these issues have not been sufficiently addressed. This has allowed wrongdoing to persist. Speaking up is not welcome. Keeping your head down, looking the other way and telling people, especially senior officers, what they want to hear is the way things are done in the Met. The culture of not speaking up has become so ingrained that even when senior officers actively seek candid views, there is a reluctance to speak up. Disciplined services, such as policing, might be more prone to such behaviours. This makes it all the more important that those who do speak up are supported, protected, and their contribution is valued. But those who speak up in the Met learn the hard way that there are adverse consequences for themselves, for their careers, and for their teams. Systems support wrongdoers. Complainants are not believed. Staff associations and independent advisory groups feel ignored. A bullying culture underpins all this. Racists, misogynists, homophobic and other discriminatory acts are tolerated, ignored or dismissed as banter. Following any issues, there is a strong tendency to look for a positive spin which allows the organization to move on. They seek to put it in the past and blame individual bad apples rather than pausing for genuine reflections on systemic issues. The Met talks up future actions as if they were already implemented. This tendency is most clearly noticeable in a tick box approach to critical reports, inspections, inquiries and other forms of scrutiny where bigger picture issues are broken down into individual actions. Problems with culture and attitudes cannot be addressed by developing a new policy, changing the rules or developing a new process. Instead of focusing on getting the basics right, short-term projects and campaigns have been launched from headquarters without seeing them through considering their impact or engaging the organization in embedding enduring systemic change. This particularly wears down officers on the front line. They experience slogans and spreadsheet returns instead of a single clear and widely understood strategy for improvement. This is exacerbated by poor management within the organization. Putting frontline policing at the back of the queue, the Met has allowed an imbalance to grow between well-resourced specialist units and a denuded frontline. It has also allowed the distance between New Scotland Yard and frontline policing teams to widen. Londoners see and rely on frontline officers the most day-to-day, but these officers feel demoralized and let down by their leaders. Londoners have been put last. The frontline has been deprioritized. A reorganization moved 32 borough-based police commands to 12 units, with some covering up to four boroughs. These are now much weaker connections to long-established communities. Democratic borough structures and Londoners have become a step further removed from their police service. Local policing has been fractured by the loss of skilled civilian staff, especially crime analysts and support staff, Officers who should be on the streets of London are left to backfill some of these roles. There is less knowledge of local crime patterns and response teams are responding to ever-increasing demands on their service. The result is longer response times. 
London no longer has a functioning neighborhood policing service, far from being ring-fenced as promised in the reorganization. It has become a resource for backfilling other services and the number of PCSOs have been drastically reduced. London's women and children have been left even further behind. The deprioritization and the specialization of public protection has put women and children at greater risk than necessary. Despite some outstanding experienced officers and overworked, inexperienced workforce polices, children protection, rape and serious sexual offences, they lack the infrastructure and specialism which the previous Sapphire Specialist Command benefited from. Instead of access to fast-track forensic services, officers have to contend with overstuffed, dilapidated or broken fridges and freezers containing evidence including the rape kits of victims and endure long waits for test results. It is more than six years since the 2016 His Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary Report into Child Protection was described as the most severely critical that HMIC has published about any force or any subject ever. But the Met's Children Protection Service continues to have major inadequacies. The Met's Violence Against Women and Girls strategy rings hollow since its claim to be prioritizing serious violence has really not included the crimes that most affect women and girls. Those investigating domestic abuse are also under considerable pressures with unmanageable caseloads and poor support for victims. This has increased the disconnection from Londoners. The Met have in the past avoided scrutiny and not sharing information and data. Holding the Met to account has become more tactical, more robust and strategic oversight based on support, challenge and mutual respect for their respective roles is needed. Next week's Rise Up podcast will continue with the findings and recommendations of Baroness Case's independent review into the standards of behaviour and internal culture of the Metropolitan Police Service. This has been Grace Opar for Raza, Rising Above Shadows of Abuse. See you on our next episode. Be positive and be safe. You can leave your comments on our social media handles or our email address, risingaboutshadowsofabuse at gmail.com. Take care.